The Toolshed is a mission-driven, education-based sex toy store located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. More than your typical adult store, the Toolshed provides quality, body-safe products that enhance the sexual lives and relationships of their customers, and they do it all in a comfortable, compassionate, and welcoming atmosphere. Not located near Milwaukee? That's okay. The Toolshed's online shop at www.toolshedtoys.com serves customers all over the world. The Toolshed strives to be the source for accurate, up-to-date information about sexual health and pleasure. Their store is staffed by sexual educators who are invested in providing sex-positive and inclusive support to their customers throughout their lifespan, no matter where they're from. The Toolshed stocks a large selection of products made from body-safe materials. They have sex toys for folks of all genders, orientations, and inclinations, including gear for strap-on play, vibrators to stimulate a variety of body parts, BDSM gear, kink supplies, and much more. The Toolshed is also proud to offer a large inventory of gender expression supplies like binders, soft packers, shaping underwear, and breast forms. Last but not least, the Toolshed stocks lots of great books on topics like ethical non-monogamy, how to negotiate consent, kinky play, sexual pleasure, sexual health, and so much more. They've got over 500 different titles in stock at their Milwaukee location and host a regular monthly book club too. Every day, the Toolshed staff answers questions about products, pleasure, health, and relationships, all without shame or stigma. The Toolshed also offers in-person and online private consultations for people who have in-depth questions about any of those things, as well as other subjects like communication and relationships, establishing healthy boundaries, fertility basics, alternative menstrual products, and other topics folks deal with every day as sexual beings. You can visit the Toolshed in person at 2427 North Murray Avenue in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or you can check out our online store at www.toolshedtoys.com. From now through the end of 2019, you can use promo code POLY2019, P-O-L-Y-2019, at checkout for 10% off your next purchase. Thanks. Hi there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. You're listening to episode 37, where we chat with MJ. Stay tuned as we delve into the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives. Nice. You have a good podcasting voice. <laughs> Thank you. It's soothing. Mm -hmm. So as you can tell, um, our uh, Katie Williams is not here today, but our special podcast guest host is uh, my husband, Rob. Hello. Podcast husband, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So MJ, who yes. are you? I am MJ. I go by they, them pronouns. I am non-binary genderqueer. I am very queer. I am a writer, a poet, a playwright, and I am a mix between ambiamorous and polyamorous. What does that mean? Uh, ambiamory is uh, like, I like to think of it as like bisexuality where you can go like, you can, I don't want to say choose, that's not really right, um, but it's where you'd be okay being in a monogamous relationship or a polyamorous relationship. Um, so I'm toying with that idea, but definitely heavier on the polyamory side for me. Cool. What drew you to polyamory? Um, I don't really think I was drawn to polyamory. It's actually an interesting story is that I was driving uh, down a road in Pensacola, Florida with my best friend about 
six years ago and she just randomly turns to me and she's like have you ever heard of polyamory and i was like no what's that she and she explained it to me and i was like oh that's really cool i kind of connect with that i've been polyamorous ever since (laughs) (laughs) it's like it was just it was kind of a thing where it was explained to me and i was like i can get with that yeah and i tried it out i don't know if you you want to say tried it out but I, i tried it out and it really works for me so yeah cool so what does polyamory mean to you uh, polyamory for me is the ability to love more than just one person in a romantic way. Um, but also it means having different kinds of relationships with multiple people. It's kind of two different definitions in one. What do you find difficult about polyamory? I think right now being still in college and dealing with that kind of stuff, I think there's, uh, I don't really have a polyamorous community right now where I am at school. So it's really hard to find anyone to connect with. There's a few people, but I go to a very small school and not a very big town. Um, so I think that's the hardest part right now. But if we're talking polyamory in general, um, I think it would be prioritizing myself, which actually connects well with what we're, our topic is for today. When did you... Well, I guess we kind of already talked about this. Um, my next question is, when did you know you were poly? Uh, but I guess also, when did you start feeling different from the rest or quote-unquote normal people yeah (laughs) um i think with being trans and queer it's really hard to distinguish between what part of me felt different at what time sure so i first came out as some form of queer in middle school and so it was very early on and it was very accepted my mom is actually bisexual as well so i was really i didn't actually know that until i came out and then she was like yeah i used to have a girlfriend and i was like okay (laughs) (laughs) so it was very accepted uh by my mom's side of the family Um, so I've always felt different in that way. And then, uh, first semester of college, I realized I was trans and then I transitioned. And then that was, it was in that same year that I realized I was trans that I realized I was polyamorous as well. So it kind of all is melded together at this point. All of the different things all at once. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Where are you in your poly journey? I think I'm still pretty in the beginning of things because I just haven't dated much and I know you don't have to date to be polyamorous but that's part of the experience of being polyamorous is dating or like being in relationships with a lot of people or not a lot of people multiple people or just multiple people throughout your life um and so I haven't been through that a lot um but also I'm secure in my identity and I know that this is a big part of who I am and I'm very like stable in it so I'm not like in the beginning as in I'm still like questioning things, still toying with things. Like it's very solidly part of me, but I'm just not as experienced. So where do you hope to go in your poly journey? Um, eventually I've toyed with the idea of the kitchen table polyamory type of structure, but I'm also, I don't know quite yet because I don't know what type of family structure I want to have. I haven't made any decisions on that yet. I haven't made any decisions on if I want kids or not yet. So I don't want to make... I don't like to plan too far out because then plans can, you know, plans can change really easily. So I don't like to like try to make solid plans if I'm not fully committed to those yet. So I don't think I know exactly where I'm going. I just kind of want to feel things out as time goes on. Why do you think you were poly? Um, I think it's inherent for me. I don't think it was a choice. I think it's just part of who I am. And I think eventually, even if that one friend had not introduced me to the term I think I would have found it eventually and come to that realization that I am poly Um, so I think it's just inherently who I am 
And why did you agree to be interviewed today? I agreed to be interviewed because I was listening to the podcast while driving home to Wisconsin. And I was like, I have a really cool idea for the podcast, I think. And so I messaged Lindsay and I was like, hey, here's an idea. And she was like, you want to do it? And I said, sure. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how that came about. That's often how <laughs> I can get people on. You know what? That that idea is yours. You get to talk yeah. about it. So come please, please be on the podcast and talk about it. All right. Great. We are going to take a short break and then we'll be right back. And we are back. So the topic for today that MJS suggested is self-care and self-compassion. And just to start everything off, what what is the defini- definition of self-care and self-compassion? Um, self-care at least my definition is knowing oneself, knowing what you need and take care, taking care of your own needs. Um, sometimes that may mean prioritizing yourself above other things in your life. Um, sometimes that's just taking a bubble bath. You know, it can be like simple things. It could mean like you need to step away from a relationship. There's like, it's a huge spectrum of what self-care can mean, but essentially it's taking care of yourself, which I guess is care is in the definition. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And what is the difference um, between self-care and self-compassion? Self-compassion is being patient with yourself, is being more lenient with yourself when you think that things are maybe inadequate. If you're maybe in a, you feel you might be inadequate or a situation is inadequate or not as you expected or not as you want. And it's being, yeah, being patient with yourself. So what kind of situations call for self-care? I know that kind of is maybe a silly question, <laughs> but, or a broad, too broad of a question, but if people are wondering if they are allowed self-care like what what would you say is um like worthy anytime you feel like your battery's running low or you need a break from something or anytime you feel the need to do something for yourself that's the time for self-care you are always allowed self-care always do you think people pay attention to that in themselves enough no not at all i think a lot of people aren't very self-aware when they need to take care of themselves until it's I don't want to say too late, but until it's gone far enough that they're really drained. Mm -hmm. Um, And it takes a lot of practice and a lot of work on yourself to be able to be so cognizant of yourself. Um, But yeah, I think people don't take care of themselves often enough. At which point you just like break down. Yeah. And sometimes like breaking down and crying in the shower is self-care too. But like, (laughs) but like, um, maybe don't let it get to that point. Have a bubble bath and don't cry and have a glass of wine. Yeah. Crying is healthy though. It is. Yes, yes, yes. I'm an advocate for crying if you need to cry. Yeah. It definitely is. Uh, Catharsis is the wrong word because that's like when you're like punching a a punching bag to get your anger out. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's just a, a good release. A release. Yeah, yeah. A release. Yeah. So what kind of things count as self-care? Uh, like I said earlier, it's a b- really big spectrum. It could be anything from coloring in an adult coloring book or a kid's coloring book, mm-hmm. if you want to do that, um, taking a bubble bath, or it can mean, like I said, stepping down from a relationship or stepping away from a big responsibility that is just too much for you right now. Um, there's a huge spectrum of what self-care is. Um, and I think that there is a big difference between self-care for introverted people or extroverted people so introverted people might you know be taking those bubble baths might Mm -hmm. be drawing well extroverted people might actually be able to rebuild their energy by being around people they care about and being Mm -hmm. around people that relax them so i think that there's no one right way to self-care right there's it's really based on your personality and what you need and yeah and figuring that out is super important because if 
if what it takes to recharge your batteries is going out to a loud concert with friends uh, that are going to like hype you up and get you excited about life again, that is totally the opposite of, of other people who absolutely need to sit and watch Netflix and veg out on the couch for <laughs> yeah. 10 hours straight. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So how does this all relate to polyamory? This really relates to polyamory because I feel like in any relationship, a lot of times people forget to prioritize themselves and be self-compassionate. And then when you add multiple partners in, I think that can complicate things or it just, it multiplies things. I don't think it adds. I think it multiplies um, Mm -hmm. because there's a lot, I don't know, it's, it's more of a two times two than a two plus two. I think when you're adding people into your life, um, it gets exponentially harder. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. It gets exponentially harder. Um, And so I think it's really easy to prioritize your partner or your partners or the relationship instead of prioritizing yourself. Um, It's really easy to have that fall, like to not have a fallback for yourself. Yeah. I remember when I was um, early poly days and I had two partners, I literally like split the week up. One guy got four days a week and one guy got three days a week, which left me no time, you know? And it was like, and I didn't even think about it. I didn't even consider it because I was just like, well, I want to see them as much as I can. So, um, so I'm going to schedule as much time as I can with them. And, and I was going through college at the time. I was like a senior in college and I really did not, uh, have a lot of life things together because I didn't have time for it. And I, that was basically because I was trying to spend all my time with different people. And yeah, it's like really important. And I think that so somewhat early on, I learned that you should give yourself a date night, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that that even before self-care was kind of like a buzzword that a lot of people knew because I didn't, I definitely didn't call it self-care. I was like, okay, Sunday nights should be my date night with myself. And I'm quote unquote dating myself, you know? Yeah. I think that's a really that's a really good thing and it's something that I'm still working on definitely. I think no one ever like achieves peak self-care. <laughs> I think you're always working on it. It's always a journey to maintain that. Um so it's something that I'm working on is taking nights for myself. Um Yeah, it's easy to say, but I I still now, you know, 12 years into um being polyamorous, I probably get one free night a month so <laughs> i don't do that anymore yeah it's like i don't know i don't have time but you have a kid so it's hard to mm-hmm. but yeah we try to do it in small doses when i can um again with a child it's a little more difficult to just go have self-time and yeah you have to sort of look at your schedule and figure out when can i even fit it in and and then once in a while there is that sort of breakdown where you sort of hit a point where you're like oh I'm in a really bad mood. I probably need some time to myself. And um, it's good to have partners that can recognize that sometimes even before you do. Yeah. And can step up and be like, hey, why don't you uh, go for a drive or uh, <laughs> you know, go work on a project or yeah. you know, go do something that uh, that's for yourself. And Yeah, I definitely was in a situation akin to the one you just talked about, Lindsay. Um, where I was dating two people and one of the, which I was living with and I was also living with my mom at the time cause I was, it was before we moved out into our own place. Um, and so I was living with her and then I was dating someone that lived like across town and I was spending, and I started 
that NRE with the with the person that lived across town. And I started mistakenly spending all of my time with that person and a lot less time with the partner I was living with because I lived with her. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of took that for granted. Absolutely, but yeah. then also I was spending all my time with both of them. I didn't have my own space in the house because we were sharing this room in my mom's house. Yeah. And so I didn't have a space to myself. I couldn't take my bedroom alone. Um, and so it was a really tough time until we moved out and got a bigger space um, for me to be able to take care of myself with so many people and animals around. Because when I'm home at my mom's, we have three dogs and two cats and it's a lot and it's a, not a big house. <laughs> yeah, I, I was reminded when you were talking, Rob, about a situation a couple months ago where I was just super overwhelmed and we were kind of like in a just like a a weird space and you were like you should journal (laughs) like it literally was just like you haven't journaled in a long time and it's true like I hadn't really dedicated journaling which I used to do as a daily practice Mm -hmm. since maybe I don't know April or March of that year it had been a really long time and so I felt like you almost kind of gave me permission to be like buy yourself a nice journal start journaling you always feel better when you do. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's a good point. And then I did. And I've been journaling every day since. And uh, and that's, it's a form of self-care, I guess, because it's like a way to, that I can process my feelings without just word vomiting on my partner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was, and so I feel like that was a, a, a way for you to be like, I'm encouraging your self-care right now. Please mm-hmm. go do this. And also <laughs> by doing that, It'll help me because I don't have to deal with your bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Also, Lindsay, thank you for helping me for my self-care because I've been forgetting to journal as well. Right. I've been meaning to. My therapist is like, have you been journaling lately? I'm like, nope. Yeah. And they're like, why? And I'm like, I don't know. That's good. I keep it in my purse. I keep it on me at all times. And I just try to make a habit of doing it every single day. See, being a writer, I usually have some sort of like, I have like those legal pads, like those tiny little legal pads Mm -hmm. with me at all times. Mm -hmm. But I don't have my journal with me because it's a bit bigger. But I still, I don't know why I don't write on those. Do you think it's because you are a writer that you maybe sometimes think I've already written so much today? Yeah. Do I want to sit and write just for myself? Yeah, it definitely takes a lot of energy no matter what you're writing. Like it's it's a lot of emotional energy because a lot of what I write is based on my experiences and what I am passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, so that takes a lot of energy. So then I get to the point where I'm like, I don't want to write anymore. I did NaNoWriMo, which is uh, National Novel Writers Month this past November, which is we try to hit 50,000 words in a month. And I decided to not do a single project, but I did random writings. And I took Mm -hmm. some of those words for journal entries and Mm -hmm. I counted that towards it. And I think that was really smart of me because then I wasn't overexerting myself and not having the energy to journal. Mm -hmm. So I like kind of gave myself that that allowance. Yeah, Yeah. because you really I tried NaNoWriMo probably two years, about 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh and I definitely didn't do that. And I was I was going to school for English and literature at the mm-hmm. time. So I was writing constantly, constant writing of creative writing and essays and papers. And and I did not count any of that towards my work. Yeah. And then I was like, and now I got to write 2000 words today because I got to keep up with the, you know, to get to my 50,000 goal. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such a good idea. <laughs> Thank you. I tried. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that I'd ever try Nana Remo again. Maybe, but um, I hit thirty thousand this year. I was proud of that. Yeah, that's I probably the hit farthest 20, I've ever 30, gotten. Yeah, the, that's the biggest I've ever done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is uh, significant. But mm-hmm. then you know, afterwards, what did I do with that? It's probably on a uh, four laptops ago, and I don't even know where it is. Yeah, <laughs> it's a jump drive somewhere. Yeah. yeah. 
So, yeah, I think that it is really important, like you were talking before about um, having patience, especially with polyamory, because some of this stuff is so hard and we don't have good models Mm -hmm. for uh, like we don't have a power couple on TV that's showing us that like this is how you do polyamory. Not that there is really any one way, but we don't really have any good indications of like uh, the best or the uh, good way to do it. And I feel like because of that, especially when you're new, you fuck up a lot. And when you fuck up a lot when you're new to monogamy, too. Yeah. Like, how many fucking teenagers are dating get it right the first time? Like, <laughs> right. none. Almost yeah. none. Like, yeah. 99% don't. So I think that, that giving yourself a lot of self-care and patience and self-compassion mm-hmm. when you're starting off polyamory and when you've been doing it a long time. And we've, we've been poly. We've been together, Rob and I, for going on nine years. Mm-hmm. It'll be nine years in April. And... We still fuck up a lot. (laughs) We still have to have discussions a lot. Yeah. Life keeps changing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, so yeah, I think having a lot of self-compassion when it comes to polyamory is really important because Mm -hmm. it's really hard and it's so easy to give up too. Like, I know a a friend said that they, like, if they didn't have good successful relationships, they probably just would have quit because it wasn't something that they necessarily like a, a, an identity that called yeah. to them. But like, luckily they've been successful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think just in general, I know um, when I was young, I had a lot of self-compassion problems mm-hmm. and I felt just like I was a bad person all the time. And my thoughts were not uh, healthy and, just good in general and mm-hmm. there's not a lot of um of that being taught i think yeah um and not just like i don't expect schools to teach that that's like parenting yeah type stuff and but the parents have to be emotionally like secure within yes. themselves as well and uh, I had fantastic parents. I, I still have fantastic parents. <laughs> they're great. But um We're still together. They're still together. So weird. Um nice. they've been together <laughs> since yeah, their early, early twenties. But they emotionally weren't always uh the most supportive, mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm feeling. And uh, not that they didn't want to be, it's that they didn't understand what I was going through. Gotcha. So they didn't know really what to say. And how to help me. And I didn't know either. And I was kind of messed up. And <laughs> and uh, and I just wasn't really stepping back and saying, you know, it's okay to have uh, whatever thoughts. And just, you know, they're just thoughts. They're not. Yeah. I thought like, oh, I don't fit into the normal crowd. So something is wrong with me, obviously. And I didn't take time to just step back and say, that's okay. It's okay that I don't fit in. Mm-hmm. I just was like, well, this is just who I am and I'm just going to keep powering through it. Yeah. I definitely think it's a learned skill. It's not something inherent in us, which mm-hmm. I I wish it was. That would make things a lot easier, but I definitely learned it through years of therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am a big advocate of going to therapy if you're ever going through anything or even if you're not going through anything, like therapy is sure. a really good place to sort out what's going on in your life what's going on in your head what's going on with your emotions but it's definitely where i learned to be more self-compassionate and to take care of myself mm-hmm. because i didn't used to right. i'm still working on it and i have come a long way but i definitely didn't used to take care of myself sure so 
along the lines of what we were saying before, I think that when it comes to any relationship, it doesn't have to be polyamorous. Um, sometimes the best self-care and self-compassion is leaving that relationship. Yes. Uh, and I definitely feel that there was a year in which Rob and I were dating toxic people, you know, and manipulative people and really dramatic, um, yeah, just hard relationships. And I don't think either of us took a lot of self-care, except we walked a lot more that whole year. We, we took walks to talk, which was really wonderful. And that was, I think, a bit of like our... Our, our self-imposed, like, forced self-care. We had to, we had to do it because we had to talk and we had to get out of the house and clear our heads. And, and yeah, that whole year was was really emotion, an emotional roller coaster and really overwhelming. And then we both got out of those toxic relationships, which was great. Like, it was it was a form of self-care getting out of those relationships and, and finding um, through these talks with one another that that was the best course for us. Uh, but I... I was I was talking to MJ before the podcast a little bit about how the next relationship that I had after this really emotional roller coaster, I felt it was a really nice relationship with a really nice person, and I was bored because <laughs> there was a, no um, like drama adrenaline rush anymore because sure. they were just nice. They were just a sweet guy, and I was like, oh. <laughs> you were talking. There's no exhilaration there. Wasn't there was like that like crazy. And I think part part of that is NRE. Part of that like mm -hmm. crazy rush can be part of the stress and anxiety you get from, well, new relationships, sure, but also like people that don't know what they're doing in these new relationships and are maybe toxic and are maybe just assholes in general um, and toying with your emotions, that is in a way like exhilarating. And it's kind of, it's shit that our bodies are this way and are like, I, this was really horrible and really stressful, but also fun. Like, right. yes, in some <laughs> ways, also, somewhat addicting. I'm addicted yeah. to it. Yes. Yeah, and it took me a while, and I had to take a break from dating. And that was when, when I and I've talked about this before. When I was pregnant, I took a break from dating, and obviously a little while after to recover from said pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that year, essentially, that I took off of dating, I think was really helpful because it was right after the big like year of shit relationships and then this one poor relationship that was with someone i thought was like oh he's too nice i have to break up with him because there's just no <laughs> drama here and <laughs> you know that's uh, that's on me but uh it was uh yeah i do think that you can kind of get in a rut of like being addicted to the adrenaline and it takes a while and you know it's a learned practice to know that self-care is getting out of that and not um, not falling victim to the addiction, which I really, I feel truly is like an addiction. And they say that NRE is the closest to taking cocaine or like eating really good carbs. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it's really addictive and, uh, and, and, and getting yourself out of that because yeah, it can be kind of a dangerous place too. Yeah. I've been through pretty much or a very similar thing. I don't want to say the same thing. A uh, very similar thing very recently where I was in a relationship and it was really good for a really long time. And it very quickly then turned toxic, though, and it le I stayed in that relationship for way too long mm -hmm. to the point where all my friends were like, this isn't good. You need to get out. And I was that person that was like, no, I'm going to stay in this and make it work. Mm -hmm. I was that person that was like, no, I'm gonna, I'm, I, it's going to work. It's going to work. It didn't work. And when I stopped and we, when I broke up with this person, I still was talking to them. 
And that was still toxic to me. Yep. It was still, I was still addicted to like reaching out to them. Yeah. Sometimes you have to break all contact. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I stopped talking to them somewhat, like fairly recently. And I feel so much better. I started talking to my ex, I think, because I wanted drama back in my Mm -hmm. life, you know? And Mm -hmm. I did eventually have to cut it off entirely because it was. Yeah. It was. I still have cravings to like craving toxicity back out to this person. And I'm like, I really shouldn't. And all my friends are like, please don't. (laughs) And I feel so much better, like, world's better. And it's been like a month and a half, two months that I haven't talked to this person. And I'm like, if you guys had seen me a few months ago, if you guys knew me, it would be totally different than who I am right now mm-hmm. because I'm world's better and it's bittersweet. It's not right. even like, oh, right. I love this. It's perfect. It's amazing. It's bittersweet because you still miss that for some reason. Mm-hmm. And But yeah, for myself, I was like, I need to not. And I read once that it's because like the lows are so low that the highs, even if they're normal, mm-hmm. they feel so high because they're so much better than what was before. And and that, again, like roller coaster feeling, um, the, the highs just feel so much more. And this is with all abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. Like it's so bad all the time that when it's good, it feels so good. And you just want to get back to that point and you'll just keep going through all the bad shit because the good feels so good yep um even when it's 20 percent of the time or whatever the case may be i just wanted to like stress that taking a break is is really important and i mean that could be from anything it it could be a relationship obviously and what we were talking about but it could also be maybe taking a break from work if you're able to say cut down your hours at work uh because it's too stressful Uh, i know like for myself i have a small business that i run as well as my day job and though I wouldn't necessarily want to cut back on hours of my day job, I definitely could like close my Etsy store for a month if I needed to and just be like, hey, I need a breather because mm-hmm. it can be it can be really hard being a uh, your own boss, right? Like your own business owner. And and yeah, I, I think that taking a break from a lot of things, there are some obligations like children that you can't take a break from, but you could get a babysitter, you know, if you if you can afford it or if you have family or something like mm-hmm. I have often thought, like, can I just get a babysitter for the afternoon, even though I'm not going out, even though I don't have a date, just to relax, <laughs> like, and again, like, take a bath with a glass of wine, and I don't have yeah. to worry about a toddler coming in and, you know, maybe either trying to get in the bath with me or knocking over my wine or <laughs> burning the house down by knocking over a candle or something, you know. Um, Go for it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, oh, and this is something that I guess we haven't really talked about is feeling guilty about yeah. self-care because I, I again i just i just felt it right now where i was like i feel guilty about wasting money on a babysitter just for myself mm-hmm. like because it's not necessary for yeah. shame i know <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah it's that's the thing that's a really hard thing to get over is the guilt of taking care of yourself yeah we're in a society that's do everything for other people first yep and well, we're especially people that. raised as female like yes. as women um that yes. is is ingrained in us at like the youngest of ages. We were actually talking about this last night, a group of us about how people assigned female at birth or raised as women are raised to apologize Mm. all the time for everything. Mm -hmm. everything. You're raised to feel guilty for everything, including taking care of yourself and putting yourself first. And we were just talking about in the context of like having body hair and being normal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry that I have a human body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's something 
you have to that's one thing that you have to unlearn instead of learning something you have to unlearn those negative thoughts that automatically come with you taking care of yourself about the, you know the guilt mm-hmm. you have to unlearn the guilt it's not easy no. I'm not saying any of this is easy I don't know that I <laughs> have unlearned it and I don't know that you know potentially I ever will because it's like yeah it's so ingrained and it just feels Unfortunately, it feels unnecessary because mm-hmm. I, I feel like there are so many things I have to prioritize before myself. And yeah, it's it's stupid, but yeah. <laughs> it's hard. So you think it's all cultural based? That's a really good question. Uh, I am not a sociologist, but I would <laughs> theorize that it probably is. Um, yeah, I think I it's mostly. yeah, I think it's a lot of how we're raised. Um, maybe yeah. I was going to say maybe it depends on the family, of course, but that's still in the culture, in our culture as a whole. I think we are raised this way. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I um, was talking with my daughter a few weeks back mm-hmm. and I can't remember exactly what she did, but she did something. And, and I was like, oh, you don't need to do that. And she was like, oh, sorry. And I was like, oh, but you don't need to apologize. Like, Mm -hmm. you didn't do anything wrong. I just didn't need the thing you did. (laughs) And um, and I was like, oh, I I feel like it's already, even at two, starting Mm -hmm. to be ingrained. Well, and we live in the Midwest. You know, I feel like (laughs) also that's true. Like they had to make yeah, they had to make like special laws in Canada for if you say sorry after a car accident, you're not actually claim you're not actually claiming that you did something. I had to be taught never to say sorry if I get in a car accident, and like the police come, never apologize because then it's it's guilt. And I was taught that by my mother. But in Canada, it's so common to say sorry that you that they had to make laws that that's not actually an admission of guilt because. Everyone says sorry. So you yeah. can't, you cannot <laughs> do that. And I think uh, it would be a, probably a good defense to be like, I'm sorry, I was socialized as a woman and I say sorry for everything. So fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually do anything wrong. But unfortunately, that's just what we say. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a pretty good defense, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that saying apologizing for just f- existing. Mundane yeah. things yeah. that, uh, yeah, are, don't need an apology yeah. at all. And I think going back to your daughter, it's really interesting because we take corrections or like saying like, hey, you don't need to do that. Like as a correction, as like you're doing something wrong. So we right. apologize. So we apologize right. for that too. So we're apologizing for yeah. that. Sorry for saying sorry. Yeah. 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 Fuck society. I know. I know. I was just like, how do we even solve this? We can't. We can't. Not one yet. Po- one podcast at a time. Yes. <laughs> People out there, stop apologizing. Unless you did something wrong, in which case... Unless you, know. you need to. Yeah, unless yes. you need to. I think what's even more interesting, and what I have found to be something that is... Was one of the most challenging things in like my poly journey, was not apologizing. Because I think that you can like be an adult and apologize and and, and kind of like maybe... What is it called when you like shove your pride down or like take humble. a hit? Huh? Yeah, Being be humble. humble. Yeah, be humble and, and, and take a hit on your pride and... And admit that you are wrong and apologize. And I think a lot of adults can or are capable of doing that. But forgiving is really difficult. Mm-hmm. Like forgiving someone who has hurt you or has abused you or ha- who has just been like really horrible to you in, in any way, shape or form. It's really hard to forgive. And I think that 
finding forgiveness was one of and being able to forgive people was one of the biggest challenges, but also the best thing that I could ever do in my poly journey. Because like, then I'm like being angry at someone takes mental energy Mm -hmm. and it takes a lot of mental energy. And I could have this grudge for years and just be like thinking of it and dwelling on it and just being like, Oh God, why, why did they do this thing? Why did they say this thing? Why didn't I do this at this time? And just like continuously suffering over it. And then as soon as I forgave them and I was like, you know, maybe they were living their best life. Maybe that didn't, aligned with my ideas of what a best life was and that's okay and it's over and it's done and I don't have to think about it anymore that was really really difficult one but also it was such a relief like Mm -hmm. I didn't have to think about them anymore and it was Mm -hmm. like just a weight lifted off my shoulders but I also think no one is owed forgiveness I think unless they're actively seeking it, mm-hmm. but like people who have abused you in your, in your past and they don't give a shit about you, like you don't owe them forgiveness, obviously. You owe yourself forgiveness maybe, mm-hmm. but um, you definitely don't owe anybody forgiveness. But I think if someone's actively seeking forgiveness, then then it's it's very challenging, like I said, but it's such a good like thing to find in, in yourself and to be able to give to another person because yeah, it's just like, that's that for me was a form of self-care like being able to let go of like hate yeah, kind of you sure. know? hate is toxic on yourself like, as well as so on other people toxic, yeah yeah and you get caught in a loop mm-hmm. and it just kind of bleeds into everything going on yeah in your head and your thoughts and yeah well yeah. and i know it happens so often in in the poly community of a bad breakup will happen and then someone will be like but they're but you know those those two people or three or four however many people are in the breakup they're still in the community and then people feel like they have to like separate friends and split up you know and split up friend groups and then also saying something like well if you're going to still be friends with them then I don't know that I can be friends with you because now you're like taking sides and sure and I see it uh, especially on Facebook and stuff and in in poly groups that aren't mine because i hope i hope i've established like you can't do that here like but i don't know (laughs) you never know but but yeah i've definitely had um facebook friends who have said like i can't hang out with this person anymore because um they're still friends with my ex i'm like that's that's Mm. on you that's a hundred percent on you and and it sucks maybe you know depending on what the situation with your ex was but like can't do that like that, that that's not that's not helpful to you because now you're just forcing your friend away and your support group potentially and and it's definitely not helpful to your friend who's potentially needs that extra support too mm. needs that friendship and needs people around them yeah other sure. than sorry oh i was gonna say the i i could also see that if you don't feel like you could be a good friend because of whatever the situation was maybe that is the best course like you were saying is you have to separate from Mm -hmm. certain things so if you feel like you are going to become the toxic person in a relationship that's a good point then saying all right yeah i can't talk to these people anymore because they took sides or it was perceived that they took sides you know that could be the best course of action uh the way that i see it is nothing is forever 
where everything is. (laughs) (laughs) But there's always an opportunity. But I think that goes to the forgiveness aspect of it. You have to be willing to separate yourself from uh, the situation and say, I forgive myself or I forgive them, depending on what it was. And we can move past it. And that was an instance in our lives where those things happened for whatever reason that they happened. And we've grown and moved past it now. Do you have anything else to add about self-care and self-compassion or any advice to share with our poly listeners? Um, I think it's just going back to the definitions of both those words is be patient with yourself and learn yourself, I guess would be a really good thing to say. Learn yourself, what you need, what your style is. Like, I don't mean like clothing style, but like that too. Like, learn your style. (laughs) Um, Learn what your style of life and like the rhythm of your life is. Um, Learn yourself. That could be socially. That could be just like what you like to do in your free time. That could be sexually. That could be anything. Learn yourself and take care of yourself. I think it would just be to round that off. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This is a really fun discussion. I hope a lot of people like learned and, and have some ideas for their own self-care and, uh, and maybe start a new practice or uh, get a journal and start yeah. journaling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. Both of you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye. Bye.